Welcome to the Home Church Podcast, where we bring you relevant teaching, faith conversations, and much, much more. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires you and builds your faith. Welcome, Home Church Online family. It is an absolute joy to have you join us today for this service. And if you are new, welcome. Welcome to the family. Welcome to Home Church. We are Home Church. And yes, we're doing it online, and uh, it's what we can do right now. And I'm just grateful for the power of technology. And I'm also believing God for a God encounter for you. You're joining us today. I don't know the week that you had, but I know this. God is going to speak into your life and into my life today as we together gather under His name. So I'm excited. As you can tell, I am buzzing. You know, I believe there is a wording season from God for us today. And I'm excited to announce also that we're starting this new series called Yes and Amen. And just to set a bit of a foundation, before we go into my message today um, under this series, just to set a bit of a foundation, I want to go straight to the Word of God in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. The Bible says this, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ, and they find their yes All of God's promises fulfilled in Christ find their yes. And as our amen joins in with Jesus Christ's yes, and when they ascend to God, it brings Him glory. I love the scripture here because this is what it's telling me, that He's showing me this beautiful God-designed equation. And in this equation, there's two Very, very key elements, two constants in this equation. One is the yes of the fulfillment of the promises of God in Christ Jesus. It's finished. It's done. According to the Bible, Jesus said this himself at the cross. He said, it is finished. So the word of God tells us, the word of God tells us that all the promises of God, not only the prophecies about Jesus, but all of the promises of God have now been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Yes. The second constant of this equation is the final result. It will bring God glory. I love that. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But here's the thing. Right in the middle of this equation, there is a variable. And the variable was designed by God to be dependent on you and I. The amen that it is required for the equation to be completed is dependent on you and I. You and I bring the amen to the equation today. So my question to you today is, will you choose to engage? Will you choose to respond? Will you choose to add your amen to this amazing, amazing equation that talks about the promises of God, bringing Him glory. And you know what? I don't believe that the Bible is talking about an egotistical God that just wants more glory for Himself. When the Bible talks about bringing Him glory, it is talking about changing the narrative about people's perceptions of God. So as we bring our amen into the equation, As we bring our seal of confirmation, saying yes 
the promises of God have indeed been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Yes, the Bible says that that will have a final result which changes people's perceptions. It changes the narrative about people's perceptions of how they see God. Is God really real? Is God really a healer? Is God really a provider? Is God really good? So the world around us watch in expectation and they're waiting to see what is happening. But unless there is a response from you and I, come on church, unless there is a response from me to this equation, the narrative may remain the same and that's not what you want and that's not what I want. That's what this is all about. It's not necessarily just about you and me. It's about a whole world who don't yet know God, who need the narrative about their perception of this God to be changed. That's what it means to glorify God. So His name is exalted. So His name is elevated high. So people will look and see what is going on with you. What is happening in your life? How come you're so firm and so strong when everything else around you is shifting? Look around. And then people will have an opportunity to see that there is a God that loves you, that there is a God that loves me. But hey, how can you respond to something that you haven't experienced? And how can you experience something unless you engage with it? The word promise, by definition, according to the dictionary, according to human perspective this is what the word promise means according to our human definition i'm going to read it from my notes here it says this it is to assure someone that one will definitely do something or that something will happen it could be good or bad we don't know but here's the definition of the word promise according to the bible here in second corinthians 120 this is god's perspective on promise this is his definition about promise it says this it is a divine assurance of good it is a divine assurance of good this tell me some this tells me something this affirms and confirms that god can only do good god can only be good god's promises are always an assurance of good and that's not only good news for me that's great great news for me I don't know about you but I needed to hear this that all of God's promises are of good human promises not so much we don't know because we humans we're very unpredictable we're very unreliable and I promise you this when everything else around you is shifting when everything else around you is a little bit confusing I promise you, you will struggle to keep your promises. In fact, we're even capable of promising bad things towards each other. But here's some more good news for you today. God is not human and God is not a man like us. Here's what the Bible says in Numbers 23, 19. And I love this. It says that God is not a man, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he doesn't change his mind. I mean, there's something to be excited about. 
He's not like us. And here's another verse to encourage you on this. Hebrews 10, 23, in the New Living Translation, it says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promises. God doesn't change His mind about being good or about doing good. That's the only thing He can do. He doesn't lie about it. He can't change His mind about it. And we can trust Him to keep His assurances of good towards us. I mean, I could go home right now. That for me is already good news to keep me going for a little while. But I've got a little bit more for you today. You know, this sermon has really taken me um, through a journey uh, where I found myself deeply considering what we as a church would want to hear, uh, what our church family would want to hear right now. And I don't take this moment lightly. I don't take this Sunday lightly. I don't take the, you know, last few weeks lightly. And, uh, and I'm here to tell you that I have deeply considered what to say. But then I found myself also forgetting to ask God what He actually wanted to tell us. And I know that is a given to you because I'm a pastor. But hey, when you're on this side of the screen, I'll tell you what, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. But I said, you know what, God? I'm just going to start typing some stuff. And you fill in the blanks, God. This is what I was telling God. I'm just gonna, I'm just a vessel here. My mind, my hands are available, but you give the message because we need to hear you right now. And it's amazing how God will always speak into our context. And I love, I love that. And uh, I came to the conclusion, I came to this conclusion. That at pivotal times, we need to ask God some pivotal questions. We need to come to God with some big questions in big moments. And I can tell you, I can tell you this, God can handle them. He's not worried about them. So I came up with two big questions. Two big questions. Two pivotal questions who are simply the foundation, the basis for my message today. Each one of those two messages form a part of my two points in my message. And those questions are this. Question number one, where is God in all of this? I don't know about you, but I think that's a big question to ask right now. Where is God in all of this? And question number two, what is God doing about any of this? What is God doing? about any of this. And to answer those questions, I went to the book of Romans and we're going to focus on chapter 8 of the book of Romans. And I think the book of Romans is a very appropriate book for us to go and study under these circumstances because the church in Rome, the Christians in Rome, were going through a tough time. There were a lot of things going on. There was a lot of misconceptions about the gospel about the message of Jesus being sown amongst them. There's a lot of things being twisted about the truth about Jesus Christ. There is a lot of commotion going on. There's a lot of division in the church. And so the apostle Paul, who had planted, planted that church, he uh, decides that he wants to address the church. He wants to help them. And that's why he writes the letter 
uh, to the Romans, the letter to the church in Rome, addressing those issues. Basically, he's trying to build, again, a solid foundation about some of the fundamentals of our faith, of their faith, so they could get themselves up again and begin to move forward on the things of God because they were very confused. And I believe that the church, when you read Romans, you will, you will see that the church had come to a halt and they were eagerly waiting for something to happen. And Paul comes riding there and addresses their situation. So we're going to focus on the book of Romans, especially chapter 8. And in the middle of it all, in the middle of his letter to the church in Rome, to these Christians who are struggling with everything that is shifting around them, he says these pivotal words in pivotal times. We need to ask God some pivotal questions and we need some pivotal answers. And he says these pivotal words to the church in Rome. And I believe God is telling us right now, all of this is going to make sense. So stay with me. He says this, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you and on the inside of me. I'm actually going to read it from my Bible here. It says this, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. What a solid foundation for my feet when everything is shifting. Come on, church. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. I love that. You know, the word power or the word spirit in this verse is the word pneuma. A word that I had never paid attention to before. A Greek word, pneuma. That word, by my own definition, means God within us. I love that. That was mind-blowing to me because when you look at the Bible in the Old Testament, you will see our God outside humanity working on behalf of His people outside. And then Jesus comes, Emmanuel, God among us, God with us. And then Jesus goes to the cross and then he dies that horrible death for you and for me. And then on the third day, come on, on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. And then Jesus is about to be ascended into heavens. He's with his disciples. He's shown himself to a whole bunch of people, including the disciples. And just before he's ascended into heavens, he says this, I will send you my Spirit, I will send you a helper. I will send you a pneuma that will help you along your journey that you've just embarked on right now. And so the title of my message today is, We Are a Pneuma Generation. We are a God within us generation. And now with that in mind, Let's tackle those two big pivotal questions. Question number one, where is God in the middle of all of this? Where is God in the middle of all of this? Which takes me to my point number one. God is always present within me. 
God is always present within me. The Bible says in Psalm 46, verse 1, I love the word of God. It says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. This word ever-present, this expression ever-present, the definition is always ready and always pursuing. So the presence of God, the pneuma of God on the inside of us is not a passive help. It is an ever-present, always ready and always pursuing in times of trouble. And I want to just open a little parenthesis here just to address something, dismystify something, because I have heard many times before in church circles and people who believe that, you know, as you embark on this journey, when you give your life to Jesus and the presence of God comes to live on the inside of you, that when you and I mess up, that the presence of God leave us, I don't believe that for a second because that's not what the Bible says. And I want to dismystify this because why would God leave you? Why would God leave me when I need him the most? It doesn't make sense. And I want to encourage you with this verse in Psalm 139, verse 7. But before I read the verse, I want to tell you a little story. I remember being in London, living in London once many, many years ago. And I uh, found myself in a nightclub, hanging out with the wrong crowd. Don't judge me, church. I was very confused. I was very lost as a Christian young man. I was very confused about life. I was very confused about my faith. And I started hanging out with the wrong crowd. I wasn't really going to church back then. And I found myself in this nightclub in the middle of London. And I remember really being at my worst, hitting rock bottom. I didn't know where to go. I was very depressed. In fact, the reason why I was hanging out with those people is because I didn't really have any other friends in church anymore. I was very alone. I was very depressed. And I remember in my darkest moment, in the middle of that nightclub, I remember this voice on inside of me telling me and asking me this question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? A never-present help in times of trouble. God will never leave you in your darkest moment. And I remember this. I went, yes, what am I doing here? And I went back home and I went to sleep and I never mixed with that crowd ever again. And I started going to church again. God will never leave you. He will never leave you because he's God within you. Numa, he can't leave you and he won't. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read this to you. Psalm 139 from verse 7 in the New Living Translation. It says this, I can never escape from your spirit, oh God. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. Come on, isn't it good? <laughs> if I go down to the grave, you are there. And if I ride the wings of the morning, and if I dwell by the farthest oceans, and even in the nightclub, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. So the presence of God can never leave me. For he promised he would live on the inside of me. He would never leave me. He would never abandon me. Now, church, 
knowing this, God within us, that he will never leave us, especially in our times of trouble, especially when we need him the most. Why would he leave us? So knowing this, how come that you and I still feel lost and confused and wondering why? And uh, how come if the presence of God is constantly pursuing me to engage with me in my time of trouble, how come I still find myself in trouble? How come I still find myself wandering and a little bit lost and a little bit confused? And so I want to answer your question with another question. How are you engaging with his pursuit on the inside of you? And what if you and I can't engage with God's pursuit to help us when we're distracted by so many things or even when we are choosing whether it is deliberately or subconsciously to engage with all of those distractions. That's a good question to ask ourselves today. And I'm going to try and expand a little bit on this point by telling you a story. When I first met Terry uh, in church and my eyes just caught her, I, you know, I was like, she is a keeper. And I remember Terry just completely falling in love with me. Head over heels, church. I'm telling you, she wouldn't stop chasing me. She wouldn't stop pursuing me. She just wouldn't leave me alone. I was like, I can't, what is going on here, God? I mean, I didn't know what to do. She would just kept texting me, kept calling me. And I was like, wow, what's going on with this? She just was there pursuing me. Of course, you know, that's not true, right? <laughs> that's not true. It was me who was constantly pursuing Terry. I was relentless, man. I'm Latino. I'm Brazilian. You know that. And, you know, I just used that to my advantage. But here's the thing. When I started pursuing Tess, pursuing my beautiful wife today, Terry, I noticed this. A lot of other guys, you know, a group of friends started getting a little bit agitated. I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? There's a bit of competition. You know, there's a little bit of, a, I call them distractions. They were just distractions. And they were trying to, to pull Terry's attention. I remember it became quite obvious. And it was very awkward and uncomfortable. But I'm like, I don't really care. I just went in for the kill. But I saw this stuff going on with some of the other males amongst us. There was competition. There's a lot of distractions. And, and not only that, Terry had a great career already. She was in a, working for a great company. She had a good visa to stay in the UK. I was broke. I had a student visa, so I don't know what was going on. There were so many distractions. There's so many things that could be telling her other things that she could have chosen to engage with. So many other guys that she could, she had the choice. But this is what she did in my pursuit. She turned and she engaged with me. Literally, we got engaged. And because of that, she could then experience what it was to be in a relationship with me. And today we've been married for 12 years. Isn't it great? So my question to you today is, how are you going to respond to the God within you that is constantly pursuing you to bring you 
His help to bring you answers. When you respond and you engage, you experience the presence of God on the inside of you. And then here's what happens. Your amen is added to the equation and added to the yes of the fulfillment of promises of God in Christ Jesus. It begins to change the narrative about people's perceptions of who God is. And here is uh, some more good news for you, church. Even when you and I choose to not engage, even when you and I choose to engage with other things, the presence of God is still there, constantly, relentlessly pursuing you. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 31, 6, He will never leave you, meaning He will never fail you. And He will never forsake you. Forsake you. He will never abandon you. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says this, that He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you, meaning He will never fail you. And He will never abandon you. And I love that. Romans 8. 38, 39, to close this point, says this, For I am convinced, I'm actually going to read from my Bible. Here it is. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, neither those things shifting around us, neither a pandemic, nothing, nothing can separate us from the presence of God, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And that is good news for me today and for you today, church. Not even you can separate you from the presence of God, for we are a new generation. We are a God within us generation. He cannot leave us. He won't abandon us. He's right there ever-present, always ready, constantly pursuing. All you have to do is turn and engage with the presence of God right here, right now, in Jesus' name, so you can experience the presence of God and so that your amen can be added to the equation. Come on, church. Hallelujah. I love this. Point number two, or question number two, what is God doing in the middle of all of this? And I want to answer your question or my question with the second point of my message. God is always working in me. I love that. As the Apostle Paul continues to write his letter to the church in Rome, to the Christians in Rome, he's beginning to address, he's exhorting them about so many things. And he gets to verse 28 of chapter 8 of Romans. And he says this, again, pivotal words. At a pivotal time, from a great God that can always change things. And he says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, who love Him, and are called according to His purpose for them. I'm going to read it again. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. I love the word of God. Here's the thing, though. Our 
assumption, naturally, is always to think that God will work the situation in our favor. But remember, that was the God in the Old Testament. He is now a God within us. So he won't work the situation in our favor. He will work in you and in me through the situation. And I love that. That's why Paul says, rejoice when you run into trials and trouble. You're like, are you crazy, Paul? Rejoice. And he says, yes, rejoice. That is in the book of Romans chapter 5. Rejoice when you run into shifting times. This is why. Because those trials and tribulations will create an endurance in you. They will produce endurance in you. And that endurance will produce a strength of character. And that strength of character will produce this confident hope of salvation. So you and I ought to, according to the Word of God, rejoice in times of trouble. Because it is in these times of trouble that our amen can be added to the equation when we choose to engage with the work of God inside of us. I love this. I love this because this is what also telling me. For as long as there is trouble, there is good coming my way. When you read verse 28 again, God causes all things to work together for my good. I love that. That's great news because this is what he's telling me. For as long as there is trouble coming my way, God is working in me to cause all of those things to work together for my good. The more trouble, the more good. It's like God has got this factory of goodness getting every trouble and every pain and every suffering and he takes it into his factory and he transforms it into goodness that will come straight up pursuing me again. I love that. I remember when Tara and I fell pregnant the first time and uh, we were rejoicing, obviously. We're so excited about our baby. And uh, a few weeks later, um, sadly, we had a miscarriage. I remember being in hospital and the doctor's telling us, hey, guys, you guys, um, you guys had a miscarriage. And um, I remember sitting in the car with my, my beautiful wife, with Tess, and I just didn't even have the words to tell. I, I, there was nothing that I could tell Tess uh, that could comfort her. I could tell. And I needed to be confident in myself. And a few months later, we felt pregnant again. Uh, and this time, obviously, you're very cautious who you tell, so you keep it very secret. And uh, I remember us losing our second baby. We had our second miscarriage. And uh, we were very confused. We were a little bit lost. And we didn't know what was going on. And uh, I remember just uh, asking God, what's going on here? But there's one sure thing in this world. You know, there is one sure thing in this world. Jesus said these words. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will experience pain. But then he said this, but rejoice. Come on, there's some good news coming our way. Come on, church. But rejoice, for I have overcome 
the world. Even in times of trouble, God will turn those things for our good. And uh, today, Tara and I have two beautiful children, Malachi and Lexi. And every time I look at them, every time I look at my children, I remember and I see the goodness of God. He used all of the pain and all of the confusion and all of the questions that we had. And he worked on the inside of us. He produced this endurance, this strength of character, this confident hope of salvation. And he became this powerful amen that Tara and I can bring to the equation. So joint with the yes of heavens, of the fulfillment of the promises, of the assurances of goodness of God towards us. And when he ascended to God, it gave him great glory. Every time you look at your problems, every time you look at your trials, remember that God is always at work in you. He hasn't finished yet. I want to leave with this scripture. 1 John 4, 12 and 13 in the New International Version. It says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us because he has given us his pneuma, his spirit, God within us. What is God? Where is God right now? Right inside of me. What is God doing in the middle of all of this? He's working in me for my good, for your good. Amen, church. Amen. And I want to leave you with this today in Jesus' name. And uh, if uh, you are with us today, but you were never given an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. You were never given a chance to be made right with God. You never really understood what it meant. I'm here to give you that opportunity today. And I want to really encourage you to turn and engage with the presence of God that is constantly now pursuing you. And I will give you a chance to do that in a moment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, these incredible words that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we shall be saved we shall be made right with him again and if that's you I want to give you that opportunity to do that all you have to do according to the Bible according to the word of God is to believe and to confess and uh, so if you're if you're ready all you have to do now is just repeat a simple prayer after me. All right? So here we go. Lord God, I come before you and I give you my life. With my mouth, I confess. And with my heart, I believe that you are my Lord and you are my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if that's you, I just want to congratulate you if you just made the decision to give your life to Jesus. This is the best decision 
you could ever make. And uh, we're just glad you made that decision. And right now, um, you know, our online team will be sharing information with you. So they're trying to connect with you. And uh, there's a little button there that uh, says, you know, I want to raise my hand to Jesus. You can click on that button just indicating to us that you've made that decision. You will still remain anonymous. We will not know uh, that was you, who that was. But if you do want then prayer, because the subsequent question is, would you like someone to pray with you? So our online pastors, including myself and Terry, we're ready to pray for you. So you can hit the button as well. And then we will know who you are. And as you click the button, it will take you into a private chat with one of us online pastors. And we would love to pray with you. We would love to offer you all the help that we can. And congratulations. We're so, so glad you made that amazing decision to be made right with God today. And church, thank you. It was just incredible being with you today. And uh, have a fantastic week. Don't forget, God within us. We are a God within us generation. We are a new generation. He's always present in me. And He's always working in me. I love you, church. Have a great week.